All right, what a great song to get started right before our message time. That's what uh, Peter talks about in his letter in his first chapter here. He talks about praising God, and so we always want to find something to praise God. I don't want to jump into the message quite just yet, but um, we should always sing at least one song to praise God. Amen? I agree. I think we ought to be doing that more often. I'm so glad to see some of you already signing in. Good to see you all folks on, on Facebook Live. Glad you're with us this morning, Jerry, or Larry, and, and Mary Ellen, uh, Marilyn, Merritt, good to see you. Uh, Joe, good to see you. Joe Edmond. If you don't know, Bill's been in the hospital for a few days, but he's doing better now. So um, let's take a moment and let's read through for the first chapter. I know it's a little bit long, but um, then we're going to go talk about a few po points in there I want to talk about that God laid on my heart as I studied for this, this sermon. Um, We've been reading through these chat through these letters, one chapter at a time, or if they're, if they're short, we'll read the whole thing. But uh, these letters are important for us because they define our faith. They remind us of why we're Christians, and they tell us or help us realize these are the things that Christians do. So 1 Peter, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered through, throughout Pontia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for the obedience of Jesus Christ, to Jesus Christ, and sprinkling by His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Peter is saying that to us today as well. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, a greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As, a, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy all in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a Father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent faith, fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb, without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. 
Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for this word. We thank you for this encouragement that we just read from Peter. We know, Father, it was written long ago to some other churches. and We thank you, God, that that was written to them. Because we also know it's written to us as well. It applies to our lives today. And so today, as we gather, whether in person or online, we gather in Jesus' name to praise you for our salvation, to be encouraged in our faith, to be encouraged in spite of what we see going around us, things that come against your church, things that attack your church. We just pray, Father, that you would continue to shield and guide and direct us. Father, as I speak this morning, I pray for you to speak through me. I pray that, God, you will speak to each person's heart that watches or is, is in, in person. I pray, Father, that you will just speak to all of our hearts, including mine. Guide and direct us, Father, to be your people, obedient, true, faithful. And, Father, we just pray for Cornerstone as a church body, that you will bless us and continue to watch over us as we go through that time of transition, Father. We know that you're, you have great things in store for us. We also know you have a great inheritance that is waiting for each and every one of us, Father, when we come to be with you. Father, just be glorified in what we say and do here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you know what's strange is that not everybody was raised in the church. Did you know that? A lot of people today aren't being raised in the church. A lot of people today, under the age of 40, don't really know much about the Christian faith. They don't know much about the Bible. They don't know much about the people in the Bible. They don't know about God. They, they think that God is some abstract or some old-fashioned idea. So they don't know. When we read the Bible, they don't know what we're talking about. When we talk about Jesus or or we talk about Peter, they don't really know who we're talking about and what we're talking about. So we have to kind of explain things more today, I think, to help people understand where we're coming from and why we're talking about what we talk about. Most of us know Peter. Is that true for you? Amen? That true for you? Yeah? Yeah, most of you at home probably know who Peter is. But if you don't, he was one of the original 12 men called an apostle. The 12 men that Jesus called to leave their old lives and follow him. Peter was a fisherman, an actual fisherman. He had a, had a business with his father. Uh, they owned their boats, him and his brother Andrew. And when Jesus called him to be a fisherman, to follow Jesus, he said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And what did they do? The Bible says straight away they dropped their nets and they left their boats and they went with Jesus. And he became a fisher of men. Now when Jesus told the men, those people, those guys, that they would be fishers of men, he simply meant Peter and the others would take Jesus' message, the gospel, to whoever would listen to it and lead them to become followers of Jesus Christ too. And that's what happened, and that's what the church has been doing for over 2,000 years now. We've been following the example of the apostles who followed the example of Christ and sharing Jesus' message, and that's what we're trying to do today. By the way, that's one reason why we're building a new church building. So we can go to a different part of town where there are no churches, where we see buildings going up, where we see residents being built, people moving in, and maybe they don't know about Jesus, and they need a church to go to. And an easy one to go to would be right down the street for them, right? And so that's what God is doing through us. And so he wants us to share the message of the gospel. Now, Peter is referred to several different ways in the New Testament. Sometimes he's called Simon. 
Sometimes he's called Cephas. Sometimes he's called Simon Peter. And the name Peter and the name Cephas both mean rock. Now, I don't know what G, what they meant when, when they named Peter that, meaning rock. You can kind of figure that out on your own. Maybe they thought he was hard-headed like an Irishman or whatever. But uh, his name was Rock. And, you know, when I think of a rock, I think of something that's solid, something that's strong, something that's, that's just really can take it, right? And we know from Peter's life, he, he ended up being able to take it. Uh, he was one of three men who were able to be very close to Jesus. He, Jesus took these three men, James, Peter, James, and Andrew. And he, or Peter, James, and John, I'm sorry. Peter, James, and John. And he molded them into really leaders of the group. And uh, they were the closest to Jesus. The men, they spent the most time with Jesus. They learned the most from Jesus. Now, the Gospels show that Peter spent the most time. If you read the Gospels, it seems like Peter got more of Jesus' time than anybody else. And so he learned from Jesus by watching what Jesus did. And he really wanted to emulate Jesus. He really wanted to do what Jesus did. And you read the Gospels and you'll see that. You read his letters, you'll see that. Peter was one of the most emotional men in the, old, in, the, in the whole Bible, not just the Old Testament, but also the New Testament. He was very emotional. He was easily angered. He was also easily frightened as well. You'll see that too. But he was dramatically changed by Jesus' resurrection on that Sunday 2,000 years ago. Then Jesus, Then Peter calmed way down. Jesus calmed him way down. And he became more focused in his life. And he became more stable. He became more rock-like. He became a different man. He became the man who wrote this letter. And if you haven't read 1 Peter and 2 Peter, I want to encourage you to go home and read them this week. It won't take you that long. They're incredible pieces of literature. We should be reading these letters by Peter. It's believed that Peter wrote this letter from Rome. He was living in Rome, doing the gospel work there. And he wrote this letter near the end of his life. But he didn't refer to the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. He didn't talk about that. He didn't talk about the, the event, current events of his day. He didn't talk about the persecution, direct persecution of, of the Christians by Nero that was going on in his day. He, didn't talk, he talked about it in a roundabout way. He didn't mention Nero. Why? Because he doesn't care about what's going on in the world. He cares about what God is doing. And that's true for us today. We've got to care about what God's doing in our lives and what He's doing in the life of our world. I mean, yeah, they're burning down the cities. Yeah, the, the cities are broke. Yeah, there's craziness going around in our country and our world. We've got to be more concerned. What is God doing? Because God's at work. And we want to keep our eyes on God. We want to be encouraged. Amen? Yeah. Now, we know that Peter wrote this letter to the churches in Asia Minor. Look again in chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, stranger to the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Bithynia. You know where those places are today? You want to find those places? Go to Turkey. Go to Armenia. You'll find them over there. You can actually find the church in Ephesus there in Turkey, and you can find uh, Colossae there in Turkey. And, and uh, those seven churches that, in, that are mentioned in Revelation, they're in Turkey as well. They're in Asia Minor. Paul did almost all of his work in Asia Minor, traveling around that whole region of the world. Why? Because it's an incredibly paganistic place. And there are millions and millions of people there, and so they were going there to share the gospel. Because the Romans had managed that land, they had conquered that land, but so it was peace, so they could go there. And there were millions of people there. They went where the people were. 
They went where people who weren't believers, that's where they lived. So they would go there and serve unbelievers. And that's what we're going to be doing next year about this time. Think about that. About this time next year, we're going to be serving some people who might not know Jesus. Yeah, I'm sure there's people over there who are believers. But we might be serving a lot of folks over there who don't know a thing about Jesus. We're going to get to help them learn who Jesus is. Maybe get to meet Him and be baptized and follow Him as well. Peter wrote to believers who were both Gentiles and Jewish Christians. And he sought to encourage Christians in the first century to preserve their faith, to persevere in their faith, to keep going in their faith in spite of all the persecution that was going on in the first century. Looking at your outline this morning, if you have a piece of paper at home, write this down. Point number one, Peter tells us to praise God. That's one of the very first things he talks about, praising God. And we just sang songs that praise God. Look at verse 3, the beginning of verse 3. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He urges Christians everywhere and all times to praise God. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's going on in your world, Christians, you need to praise God. Peter says so right here. We need to find ways to praise God. Peter said, praise God for your salvation if you have nothing else to praise God for. Praise Him for your salvation. Look at the end of verse 3. In His great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He says, praise God for your salvation. If you've been a Christian for 50 years or 60 years or 70 years or however long you've been a Christian, every day of your life, you need to praise God. I need to praise God. We need to praise God. The church needs to praise God. To have that new birth of salvation, that's a tremendous blessing. To encounter Jesus Christ and to be changed by Him is the greatest thing that could ever happen to anyone. It's the greatest thing. It's better than winning the Super Bowl. And I know that Patrick Mahomes probably thinks that's the greatest thing he's ever gone through. But I guarantee you this, if he's been saved by Jesus Christ, that is the greatest thing he could ever go through. It's greater than winning the World Series and the, and the, and the Royals have won the World Series. It was a great day when they did. Ann and I, we went out and bought t-shirts. But the greatest day in our lives was not the day we watched the Royals win the World Series. The greatest day in our lives was when we came to faith in Jesus Christ. It's true for everybody. It's better than making a million dollars or a billion dollars. I can say that I've never made a million dollars, but I still say it's better than making a million or a billion dollars. It's better than defeating your worst enemy. And it doesn't matter how much money you make or how much money you don't make or where you come from or who your parents are. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. Jesus wants to change your life so that you can praise God. That's what he wants to do. That's why you're watching the video. That's why you're here in person. He wants to change your life. He did this all the time, and he's still doing it. There was a time when Jesus met a group of lepers, men who, were, who had that terrible, awful skin disease that, that just basically just you know it isolated you for your whole life. You could never go around anybody ever again. They had no hope. They had no one to help them. All they had was their disease and each other. And then they met Jesus. And when they met Jesus, He cured them all of their disease. They all got cleaned up from leprosy. But only one of those ten men returned to praise God. In Luke 17, verse 14 to 8, He tells us about these men. It says, when He saw them, when Jesus saw them, He said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. He didn't even say, you're cleansed. He just said, go show the priests. 
And as they went, they, they were just miraculously cleansed automatically. And one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back to praise God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet, thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were, were, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? He was a Samaritan. I mean, he, he, didn't need, he wasn't Jewish. So he was considered a foreigner. He was considered outside the so-called family of God at that time. And he came back and he fell at Jesus' feet because Jesus changed his life. Man, if you had leprosy and Jesus cleansed you of leprosy, that's a change. But the greatest change you can ever have, really and truly, as great as that healing was, is meeting the Son of God, is meeting the Savior of the world, is meeting and being saved. He came to this world. Jesus came to the world to live the sinless life, died on the cross, overcame death. He did all of that and much, much more so we could praise God. So we could praise God for saving us. That's what Christianity is all about. It really is all about this idea, this message of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Even at the very moment that Jesus died on the cross, someone was praising him. Do you know that? There was someone standing there who praised God because of him. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't the other disciples. The only one that was there, the disciples of there, was John. He was the only one. It wasn't even Jesus' mother, and she was there. This person who praised Jesus on the cross as he died didn't even know Jesus. This person who praised God because of Jesus was a Roman soldier, the centurion who supervised his execution. In Luke 23, verse 47, he, we're told this, the centurion seeing what had happened, that Jesus had died, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. Even on the cross, Jesus was reaching people. Reaching out and changing people's minds and hearts. We need to thank God every chance we get. That's just the reality of it. We need, to change, we need to thank God every chance we get for what He did for us through Jesus Christ. Look again at the end of verse 3. For He has given us a new birth, a living hope through resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's giving us hope and new life through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's our message. That's it. A living hope. A living hope is never diminished. A living hope never loses its value. A living hope is always alive. It's always thriving. Our hope in Jesus is real. It gives us a life that is different from those who don't know Jesus Christ. That's why it's called a living hope. Because it strengthens us as we walk through this world. Then, point number two on your outline this morning, Peter tells us we have a great inheritance waiting for us. Look at verse 4 with me. He says, and in, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, cap in heaven for you. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. When most people die today, they leave somebody else. They leave behind an inheritance. Whether that's family members like children and grandchildren, a friend, an endowment, some, some charity, people leave an inheritance behind them. But when the Christian dies, we receive an inheritance. We get an inheritance from God, an inheritance that's already waiting for us right now, that's held in trust for us, just as it said in verse 4, kept in heaven for you. Wow. 
we get the inheritance when we die. We don't leave it behind. We leave all the things of this world behind, don't we? All those pains and aches, all those hurts and sorrows, all those things. And whatever we've earned and whatever we've saved up, whatever we've hoarded, doesn't matter. We leave it all behind. Somebody else gets to clean up our mess. Yeah. And we go on and we get our inheritance. Who keeps our inheritance in heaven for us while we're waiting? Who keeps it for us? Jesus does. He's holding on to it for us right now. He paid for it with his life on the cross. He secured it with his resurrection from the dead. He's holding on to it for, for, for us right now until we go to be with him or he comes to get us and take us to be with him. He's got it right now. He's, he holds heaven in his arms waiting for us to either come to be with him or he will come and get us. Hebrews 9 verse 15 says this, For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he's died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed in the first covenant. He died to set us free from what we could never get free of. Those sins that hold us down. Those sins that are like bricks and chains that drag us backwards. He, he frees us from all that. Even the ones we commit in the future, he, he frees us from the penalty of those sins. He shields us by God's power. Don't you like that phrase? Shielded by God's power. You need to look for phrases that really speak in the Bible. Being shielded by God's power means you can call upon God anytime you want. In, in times of any, any time of difficulty, any time of struggle, and God will respond. You are shielded by God Himself right now. Yes, you may be going through something. Yes, you might be having some aches and pains or some health issues. Yes, you might have a bad diagnosis from the doctor, but you are being shielded by God's power even now. And you will be shielded until Jesus comes back or you go to be with Him. And then you will never have to deal with anything like this again. That's why point number three, point number three this morning, Peter tells us to rejoice in spite of the difficulties we experience. Wow. Look at verse six. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You know, as Americans, we don't understand persecution. We don't understand suffering at all. Americans have it good. I don't understand the burning down of, of buildings. I don't understand getting in the streets. I don't understand throwing paint or harassing people. I don't get this. Now, I am a white man. I understand that. And I understand that black people feel threatened at times. I get that. I understand that. But I don't understand what, what I'm seeing on the TV right now. Because it has nothing to do with, racial, with race, racial issues. It's all about a protest. It's all about hating America. But people don't understand how great America really is and how we are well protected in this country. And we should, we should praise God for our country and our Constitution. We shouldn't burn it down. We should, we should thank God for our Constitution. We should thank God for our country, that it is getting better. No, we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. No one's perfect. There's only one man who's perfect, and they hung him on the cross. But they couldn't keep him there. The First Amendment of the United States Constitution says this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of a religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably 
to peaceably to assemble. You can protest. But when you start throwing paint or burning things down or shooting stuff at cops or stuff like that or throwing bricks or attacking people or abusing people or harassing people, you now move from a peaceful assembly to an unlawful assembly according to the Constitution of the United States of America. And to petition the government for redress of grievances. That's how our government works. That's how our government is supposed to operate. That's how our culture is supposed to operate. And now we see, now we see our government is beginning to pick away at our freedom of religion. Do you know there's a church, there's several churches in California that are suing the government, suing the state to assemble. To simply to come to church on Sunday morning like we are and gather and worship and praise God. Sing songs. Give the offerings. Do all those things that churches have done for 2,000 years. And they aren't protesting. You know what? They aren't throwing bricks at anybody. They aren't shooting guns at anybody. They aren't throwing paint. They aren't burning down buildings. They're going to their building to worship God as a church. So you see, our government cannot secure our freedom of religion. Okay? When a church has to sue the state government in order to have church, then that government is now taking away the freedom of religion that we all have. We're all under attack in this. That's why we need God's power to shield us. See, it doesn't matter what the government does. God's power will shield us. God's power will watch over us. He'll be with us. And that's why we can rejoice in spite of the difficulties we experience in this life. Because we're followers of Jesus. And God is with us because we're on God's side. It's not that God's on our side. We're on God's side. Because we made the choice, right? Amen. You made the choice to follow Jesus. So you're on God's side. The first Christians, they, per they suffered persecution that we can't imagine or understand. In the ancient world, the government would turn on people on a dime. If anybody did anything wrong, oftentimes the government would send in the military and they'd wipe out a village or a town or kill just a bunch of people. But they really, really persecuted Christians, and people don't understand that. Many of the Christians in the first and second century were thrown to wild animals in their arenas as pagans began to cheer and applaud as those animals ripped those people apart. Nero, Nero was, a, was, the, was the ruler of the Roman Empire. Nero had Christians wrapped in burlap sacks, soaked in tar and pitch, and used to light parties outside in the dark and watch them burn to death. Peter was crucified in Rome at the end of his life. He was crucified upside down, is what uh, church tradition says. He said, I want to be crucified upside down because I can't, I'm not worthy of dying the way Christ died. So they crucified him upside down. And Jesus said this would happen. He said it's always going to happen throughout the church history. It will always be, there will always be persecution of the church, of my followers. In Matthew 5, 11 and 12, Jesus told Peter and the other apostles, He said, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. When people insult you or persecute you because of being a Christian, not a citizen of America, but when you're a Christian, you can rejoice because greater is your reward in heaven. When you get there. Now, if you just go out with your gun and just start shooting people because you're angry, 
That's not what Jesus is talking about. That's not being persecuted. That's persecuting. So we're not talking about that. Now I just want to say this. You don't have to be persecuted or abused or killed to be a Christian. Praise God for that. Amen? Yeah. You don't have to be all those things to be a Christian. Many Christians have never been persecuted or abused. I've never been persecuted or abused. I've never been denied anything just because I'm a Christian or a preacher. Never. I've been laughed at. I've been, you know, I've been made fun of. I don't care. I don't consider that persecution. Because sometimes I'll give it back. Usually it's my brothers who are doing it. But I give it back to them. So I, I mean, I'm not, I've never been persecuted. But even in America, persecution is possible. So we should be ready for it. And we should somehow find a way to rejoice about our relationship with God if we're considered worthy to go through that for Him. Now, I'm not saying, man, I want to go get persecuted so I get this great, great reward. I really don't want to get beat up. Do you? I don't know anybody wants to get beat up. I don't want to get in these fights and these arguments and these kind of conflicts. I just want to live my life. I want to do what God wants me to do. I'm, I'm sure you're the same way. But we need to be ready. Because it could come. And I think it is coming to America. James talked about persecution in his letter in chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, where he says this, Consider it pure joy, brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. And not lacking anything. So there's something about persecution that grows us in our faith. It forces us, it forces people to really rely upon God more and more. See, that's where Americans, we got it easy, right? We really rely on our government for our protections. Whereas actually we should be relying upon God more. Persecution might make us do that. Look at verse 7. In verse 7, Peter says this. He says, these have come, persecutions, hard times. These have come so your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved to genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Life difficulties, the persecutions of this world will prove the value and the strength of your faith, of our faith. It will prove it. If we refuse to give up in spite of what the world says to us, it will strengthen our faith. It will show how we value our faith and our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we need to recapture the truth that Peter highlights here in verse 7. Our faith in Jesus is the most valuable thing we have. He says it's more valuable than gold. Much more valuable than gold. He says, so that your faith of greater value than greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. See, the Christian faith is worth everything. Everything. We have to capture that. Then we have to teach that to the others behind us who come in behind us. And that's why Peter tells us in point four this morning. Point four. Though we can't see Jesus now, we will see Him if we're saved. How many do you want to see Jesus Christ? Say amen. Amen. I do too. I want to see Him badly. I don't want to just see a vision of Jesus. I don't want to see a dream of Jesus. I want to see Jesus. Like I'm seeing you right now. And like you are seeing me right now. I want to see Jesus. Look at verse 8 and 9. Though you've not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. 
For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Did you know that there's a goal to having faith? It's the salvation of your soul, of you, your eternal self. The, the you who will live forever, that's the goal, to save you. Can you really believe in someone you've never seen? Can you really love someone you, you can't see right now? Is that all of that really possible? Yes, it is. It's totally possible. Because God's love is experienced in our lives and we know God exists, right? The created order around us proves that God exists. We also know that God loves us because He sent His only Son to save us. And Jesus walked through this world, lived a sinless life, and when he died, he didn't stay dead. He, rose, he overcame death and rose up from the grave three days later, just like he said he would. And he did all of that so that we could be saved, so that we could have an inheritance called heaven, so that we could know God and be shielded by his power. Salvation by faith is often taken by, for granted. Did you know that? We do. We all do it. We take it for granted. We get comfortable in our faith relationship with Jesus. We get used to being for, for, uh, saved and we forget just how great salvation by faith is and we forget how radical the idea is. See, everybody else in the world believes you have to earn your salvation. You have to do something to be worthy for God to want to have you. But Christianity, New Testament Christianity teaches you're saved by faith and that's a very radical idea. We just don't think about it because we've been in this relationship so long. And sometimes we think, well, I've got to do something worthy to be worthy of God's grace. I've got to do something. The truth is we aren't worthy of God's grace. None of us are. No one can be. Billy Graham was never worthy of God's grace, and yet he knew God's grace. Think of the best Sunday school teacher you ever had. Think of the most devout Christian, the most person with the strongest faith, the person who probably lived the cleanest life that you could ever know, they weren't worthy of God's grace. And yet if they knew Him, they had it. And if you know Him, you have God's grace. And if you don't know Him, you can have God's grace starting today. See, God shows us grace over and over and over. But nothing in this life can prepare us to see Jesus. Nothing can prepare us, really, to spend eternity with Jesus. Why? Because He is so incredible, so otherworldly that we struggle to understand who He is. Because He's so great. The divine is so incredible. We, we struggle with that. The apostles did. Paul did. Listen to what Paul wrote. He said this in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, As it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. So the wonder of heaven is it's far more incredible and great than you, you know. You want it, right? Amen? We want heaven. I mean, if we're all honest, we think about heaven in ways described, and we know that there's something it's much more greater than we realize. We want it. And we want other people to have it too. How do you do that? How do you do that? How do you, how do you get heaven as your inheritance? How do you get Jesus and, and how do you get God's power? to shield you in this life. You do that by giving yourself to God. You do that by confessing your sinfulness to God and asking Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. I know many of you here come here every Sunday and you hear me say this. Maybe some of you, maybe there's someone here who's not saved. I don't know. I don't know all of you that close. 
So if you've never prayed and asked Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, I'd encourage you to do that with me today. And those of you online are watching, maybe you're ready. Maybe this is the time for you to make that profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're ready to, to have God as your God now, today. All you got to do is pray a very simple prayer. You talk to God very simply from the heart. You have to mean it. It can't be something you just mouth word with your lips. You have to mean it from your heart. Just say the simple prayer with me, and I know that God will save you if you really mean it. So let's bow in prayer. Maybe you know someone who needs to hear this prayer and pray it for themselves. Maybe you pray for them and God will speak to them. Just pray this with me if you're ready to receive Christ. Dear God, I admit to you I'm a sinner. I acknowledge to you that I need the forgiveness only Jesus Christ can give. Dear Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be my Savior and Lord this day and every day until you come to, be, come to get me or I go to be with you. Amen. All right. If you prayed that prayer, I hope that you will uh, call the church office at 785-843-0442. Talk to me about this, and I'd love to send you some information and materials about how, what the next thing is to do in, in your walk with God and how you can grow in it as a believer and be strengthened. So you do that. I'd love to talk to you, please. All right, let's stand. Anne's going to lead us in a song of invitation. Maybe you're here today and you're ready to, to make some sort of commitment to God.